I make fast cars for very rich people. We're looking at things that will tell you if you are in danger from threats, missiles and that kind of stuff. I'm going to be joining Airbus Defence and Space as a robotic systems engineer. My role involves designing the electrical systems for large construction sites. I was doing it all uh, and I experienced it all. If you listen to those engineers and thought, I could do that, then you're in the right place. Welcome to I Could Do That, a podcast by Silver Fox and the IET, asking engineers what makes them tick. Hello and welcome to the I Could Do That podcast. I'm Alex, I'm the Head of Research and Development at Silver Fox. And alongside today, we have Stephen Keir. Stephen, do you want to introduce yourself? So my name's Stephen Keir. Uh, I'm Principal Technologist and Founder of Keir Technology Solutions. What is a Principal Technologist? Basically, it's having an overview of different technologies that are out there um, that can be used by, I suppose, businesses and individuals to either help them with sort of product development or actually in their business processes themselves. So, um, you know, it can be things like CRM systems or um, AI chatbots or, or, or things on that side. So um, I have to have yeah quite a wide scope that I, I, I look across for, for different technologies. Um, but I tend to specialise in uh, the embedded electronics side of things. So when companies, you know, that can be large or small or um, even startups and entrepreneurs want to develop an electronic-based product, I kind of help them narrow down what technologies are available and, and how they could incorporate them into, into their product. And do you help them design it as well? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I get involved at all different stages during the uh, the development life cycle. So it can be at the really early stage where someone's got a a, a fuzzy idea of of a product they could develop, and and normally they tend to be specialists in a certain area. So you might get someone that's perhaps a doctor working in a in a hospital that has an an, an idea for a product that that that, that could benefit uh, their field of expertise um but doesn't have any idea around you know how that would be implemented in the technology side of things so i would work with them to perhaps identify some possible technologies um and then we we could take that through to perhaps developing a a, a proof of concept so that's where we you know take perhaps some off the shelf um electronics or development boards and and start to build a rough prototype around what what could be developed um and then if that's successful and looks like that's going to work um then i can support them with um the sort of designing of the electronics and the embedded software that would be running on the actual device as well as um, there might be companion software running on a perhaps a mobile phone or a computer that interacts with the device or even in the cloud um, and then from that point forwards I tend to work with perhaps design consultancies that would do perhaps a lot of their engineering work or the handle turning in refining the design so I, I tend to support the startup of the company with, I suppose, managing and an oversee of that process. And then we have all the sort of compliance testing and actual testing of the product to see that it meets needs. So I'll work with the client to identify, you know, what standards or regulations they need to meet on, on that front, all the way through to sort of mass manufacture. So working out where they're actually going to get their product manufactured and how they're going to do that and the sort of batches they require and then how they're going to test that product. So yeah, it's really quite quite varied and I can join at different points along that line. 
So what, what led you to it then? So you, you founded uh, Kia Technologies? Yes, yeah, yeah. So I, I, when I was young, I mean, I think much to my, probably my parents' annoyance sometimes was actually, I'd like to take things apart and just have a look inside. And at the time, I was convincing myself that I could fix them or get them working. I'm not sure how much I really did do of that. But I guess that's stayed. I still see things or come across things in, in you know, real world and real life and there's that innate interest in thinking oh well I wonder how that works or how they've achieved that there's also a time in the schools as well where I mean I vividly remember this when I first went to secondary school they had um, a room of all typewriters and they were just changing that year to replacing the typewriters with computers and running a computing um, uh, GCSE so I, I think I was one of the first years to take that and uh, that sparked my my interest further and so I carried that forwards um, to undertake a computer science degree at university um, and there I suppose I got to broaden my horizons of all the, all the different areas where computing actually takes place so you know a, a lot of us think of computer science as just you know the PC we, we sit in front of but there's computing that goes on around us all the time in, 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 in embedded devices and then in, in, in small things like you, you take for granted every day, like your mobile phone and, and so forth. And so while I was at university, um, when I came to the final year, there was a final year project um, and I'd actually done some work experience at a company um, in Thaden Boys who are, were an electronic product design uh, consultancy. And they they had a they had a project that needed working on, which fitted quite well with my final year project. So I based my final year project around that. And um, yeah. It gave me something really interesting to work on as well as solving a real life challenge for for the for the the, the company and so when i left university um they offered me a a, a job position there as a as a a, a, a design engineer so I, I started off with um writing code for for new systems and, and and so forth and slowly i worked my way up through the company to become one of the directors of, of the company, which was which was great. So I got to work on lots of different projects from huge infrastructure projects. So developing equipment to monitor the UK's uh, digital uh, radio network to make sure that um, all the all the transmissions are are kept in sync. So you have one great big network, right down to really mundane things like um, automatic air fresheners for bathrooms so you know whenever I go into a public toilet and see one of those air fresheners on the thing I can normally tell which is which is one of ours that we we developed <laughs> useful skill to have yeah exactly I mean it's not you know they're not going to write books about it but it, it's really I, I think what captured my interest is it just shows you how electronics are around us everywhere on that side of things um and so yeah and then about six years ago I decided to actually break out on my own and start up my own business to focus more on startups and and people that want to um, want to start down the path of, of, of developing electronic products themselves. So I tend to focus now much more on on supporting startups and scale ups with their with their electronic product ideas. I still do work for larger organizations, but it, it tends to be nurturing these new businesses. I don't know whether you've consider yourself a founder or a principal technologist first but i'd like to ask this question for both 
what is the most important personality trait you think you need? Well, let's, well, let's start with found, founding a business. That's tough. That is tough. I think with that, it's probably perseverance and determination on that, that side. I think it feels like there's a lot going against you. And also, when you've moved from being in a, an established business that has, uh, you know, I mean, the company I, I worked in had been, even when I joined, had been around for about 25 years. So it's well established and, and people knew that company very well. So when I stepped out of that, I still had the contacts that I knew, but you're very much on your on your own on that side. So actually staying, staying focused and having that perseverance into what you think is is the whole reason you, you 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 started or founded that company is quite key and you start to get a lot of doubts in your mind about whether whether you've done the right thing especially you know when you've, you've also got a family involved as well and you've got to pay the bills and bring every, everything in but I think what I've seen and I mean bear in mind I started this I mean <laughs> the time was terrible I started this you know a couple of years before the pandemic so I had to also go through the pandemic side of things but I think what I've started to see now is actually by sticking to the area of what I do so helping companies develop products and and concentrating on this startup arena I've now started to see businesses you know actually get in touch with me or or you know you worked with this company would you be able to help us so it's starting to to move forwards but yeah I I think you, you need to have that sort of determination and focus and while it's good to take on advice and that there's certain things that you need to heed, you have to be careful not to listen to too many opinions, otherwise that can sort of take you off your track. And in terms of what I do as a job role, well, I think inquisitiveness is a key personality trait. I think this is happening in a lot of people's lives recently, but especially the field I work in, it, it moves at pace. So, you know, things that I even studied at university um, around perhaps AI or graphical user interfaces and, and things like that. It's it's moved on so far. As well as technology moving forward, that inquisitiveness is quite important for understanding customer needs or or the sort of challenge area. You know, when a customer or client has a problem that they're looking to solve with a with a product or a, they've got an idea for a product, they don't necessarily have the understanding of, of, of what they need so they'll, they'll put together perhaps a specification um, but there'll be holes or there'll be certain assumptions that they've made that might be not quite right so I think taking on board what they're asking for but being able to ask further questions or challenge and try and even even overcoming the hurdle of asking what I often can feel like and I think others feel like you know silly stupid questions and I, I get this with the students that I work with they're almost um hesitant to ask what they think is a silly question but actually I find sometimes they're the key questions when you're developing a product or you're developing a software solution or a platform they're, those real fundamental questions that you feel you should know the answer to are actually the key elements of the thing that you're trying to build have you ever had to say no to a client yes <laughs> it's 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 yes i have i mean there's different ways of saying no and i suppose that's something you learn you learn over the years at sort of perfecting and it, it's difficult at times but 
you know, if something fundamentally feels wrong on that side, then it's it's important to air that. I think actually having that conversation and talking it through, not not being a hard no, I'm not doing that kind of thing, but explaining around that, even though it doesn't always feel comfortable, I've found in experience later on turns out to be the to be the right thing. It's more no, but let's do it this way instead, rather than just saying no. That's, we're not doing that at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's one thing that people in your industry should start or stop doing? I think it's social responsibility. So I think what I mean around that side is, you know, developing services or products in a way that's not harmful to society or the environment. As scientists and engineers, we, we, we tend to take personal pride in the many positive achievements of science and technology but we should also be morally responsible of the negative consequences of applying our our knowledge or our our creations i think you've seen that really around social media side of things so it's come out over the years actually how i mean it's been a very empowering thing but also how it's been quite a harmful thing for society, society you know people becoming hooked on it or you know dedicating huge chunks of their lives to social media platforms and I think when that started out, yeah, I think there was probably a lot of naivety around what was going on. And it's easy to look back in retrospect and say, oh, well, yeah, that that was always going to lead to that. But I think where we got to the point of, you know, engineers actually developing things to hook people into the social media channels and not move away, then that's almost the point where, you know, the engineers had visibility of what was going on and and they knew the circumstances of that and i think that social responsibility in 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 sort of standing up and highlighting that is 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 something that needs to happen a bit more and i think and right where i link it back to these is the whole ai conversation going on at the moment so things around uh chat gpt and 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 so forth these AI technologies now have been made available to everyone, which which is fantastic. And uh, I, you know, I, I I'm I'm a proponent of using these uh, AI technologies and so forth. But I do think these conversations need to be had about how this is going to affect people's lives, and it does need to involve engineers and so forth because I think they're the only people that have the the insight of of what the systems are capable of doing the conversation needs to be held by a lot of different areas and you know around ethics and and so forth so it needs to be a broad spectrum of people but i think these these conversations do need to go on what would you say is the biggest challenge for engineering i think it's i, I mean it's the classic one which we're all quite aware of is is the shortage side of things and i mean there's there's been various reports and and studies but i mean even even last year um um i think it was in july last year intel showed quite a startling graph and you know intel have quite a pedigree for graphs i mean you know you think the moore's law and everything like that so but essentially it showed that uh, computer science course take up had gone up over 90% over the over the past 50 years but electrical engineering had declined by the same amount and what happened is because this technology, we've got so used to it, actually the fundamentals that drive all that, the electronics, has almost disappeared. And so it's it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword, really. I think it's a case of 
not just highlighting that there's the engineering shortage and there's possible jobs there, but it's also highlighting actually some of the things that we we all use um, every day in our lives and you know how they would have been designed by an electronics engineer and the the not just the individual jobs there but the whole teams of people that are put together to create these products it's interesting because i did electrical and electronic engineering obviously very electronics and electrical focus but with some programming exposure as well but it doesn't seem to be reciprocated understanding the other way I, th- I think you've, that's the nail on the head. An awful lot of the computer science courses, uh, they're starting to change now, but they have dropped the electronics element and very much focused on, you know, perhaps AI or other areas. And I think it's really a miss. And, I, I, you know, I think we've also fallen into the trap as well because there's all these development kits available like the Raspberry Pi or Arduino and everything. And they're, they're fantastic for getting things that are running. But... It's, it's also given the impression, well, actually, we don't need the electronics engineers, that we can just program it. And... Yeah, because no one designed that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's highlighting that point that, yes, there was someone that's designed that and designed that really well. And, and so we, we, we need that element. And, uh, you know, the number of companies I work with um, that say, oh, you do you know of an electronics engineer or an embedded engineer? And I, I'm like, no, you know, it's, it's very few and far between. So... I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you're on a computer science course at the moment, just have a look at the embedded engineering side of things and, and just try and perhaps explore that area a little bit more because I think that opens up an awful lot more doors um, in the field and, and, and variety of work. When I started my degree, one of my friends who's, who's now a lawyer and had no electronics uh, experience whatsoever, he said, tell me about it. And I was like, it's all just transistors. And that's it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is it. When you break it down to a simple level, that's all it is. And and I think this is the thing. I've been able to pick up quite a lot of the electronics side of things from working with the company and working with electronics engineers. And there are definitely challenges in there and there are engineering challenges, but it's not this huge, heavy subject that, you can't get your your head around or it's difficult to get into it's fundamental building blocks and it it's almost like lego you, as you said you know there's transistors there's certain fundamental blocks that you put together to create a circuit and what's great is those building blocks can be configured in millions of different ways to create all the different circuits that you want and you know it's it's something that you can get into really quite easily and have quite a good understanding of um of course it specializes and there are you know, really complex areas and, and, and challenges to, to look into. But I think if the thought of, oh, it's electronics and it's hard and I'm not sure if I can do it, a bit, a bit like the current conversation that's going on about maths, I, I sort of almost want to dispel that myth. And I, I think it's, it is something that you can pick up and work forwards and, and, and go with. And even if you take it to sort of a basic or mid-level, there's, there's still a lot of opportunities out there. And there's a lot of companies that are looking for individuals that have gone down that route. Being able to design a circuit board and being able to lay out a circuit board is a real need that's there in industry at the moment. Thank you very much, Stephen. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm Honestly, we could have talked for another hour I'm sure and maybe we'll have to have you back to see how life's progressing 
yeah that that would be fantastic well, it was really really interesting and it's it's great to be able to shine a light into embedded electronics in, in its world so yes I'd, I'd, I'd love to come back at, at some point but uh, thank you and I hope I managed to answer questions and not ramble too far around them but it was a great chat this podcast is produced by the IET and Silver Fox Silver Fox proudly support engineers around the world with all their cable wire and pipe labeling requirements The Fox in a Box thermal printer has the ability to print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer and one ribbon, saving loads of time for engineers out in the field. For more information, please contact Silver Fox. Silver Fox.